Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crescent Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne, and we are in the final week of the Evox series around money. Can't believe I made it through, <laughs> but it feels so good to have finally looked at and started healing the wounds that I knew had been there for years and years and years. So with that said, this last week, the topic of the Evox session was a fear or a limiting belief of, I can't manage money. And so I wanted to dive into this a little bit more of where does this fear come from? And can I start to tell my subconscious a new story? What I will say right from the start is that during the actual Evox session, there was almost, I, I started off thinking about money and then so many memories from a certain time in my life came up and I really focused on following those memories and releasing those emotions. And then after the Evox session was done, I was doing more processing around how the money relates to this. But this was really maybe one of the first one or two Evox sessions where the topic of the session or what the subconscious actually brought up in the session didn't seem directly related to money at first. And so let's get into it. So I just started the session by trying to recall and thinking of my mom and my dad. And that was really what stuck out to me around money is through childhood, I think, as I mentioned in a previous episode, from my mom's side, there was just a lot of communication around, you know, I have this debt, you never want to get in debt, um, and things like that. And so I think what I maybe absorbed from that as a young girl was just, oh, mom didn't manage money well as a, you know, as a young woman. And now she seems to be, appears to be from my perspective, stuck with this debt forever. And I never saw the resolution to that. And this is something I'm going to touch on a little bit later. On the other side with my dad, really from as early as I can possibly remember, he was in poverty. I think my parents got divorced when I was maybe around four. And basically from that point on, he was living with friends, living in trailers, living in little back rooms of other people's homes. And one of the memories that came up really quickly was, I think about every other weekend, we would go down and spend the weekend with him. So I lived in Corona with my mom and stepdad around the age of six. And he would come out from San Diego and pick us up. And we would drive out to San Diego with him and spend the weekend with him. Again, I think it was about every other week. And what I really vividly remember is, first of all, he drove just the most beat up car you could possibly imagine. The two back windows were taped up. There weren't even windows in them. 
And I just remember like praying to God that the car would make it to San Diego, that we wouldn't break down. But we would, you know, occasionally we would stop at a gas station and he would like buy each of us a little candy or something. And I remember so often in those moments just being so sad and thinking in my mind, I don't want you to buy me this candy because I know you need this money and feeling so much grief around that. Truly, I remember times, you know, driving up to San Diego after stopping to get our little candy and I'd be in the backseat in the dark car, just like crying silently to myself. Just somehow, even at such a young age, I was so aware of the place my dad was in and I really, really took it to heart. It was absolutely a burden on my shoulders. I remember pretty much every single night of my youth praying to God that dad would just be financially stable, that he could get a home, that he could get a car that (laughs) actually worked, um, that he could get a job that didn't exhaust him and burn him out. And And it really was, it was just years and years of pleading and pleading and pleading. And I think really feeling like, of course, at that young age, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that subconsciously or consciously, my dad was keeping himself stuck in these patterns. As a young child, to me, I really internalized, oh, my dad is so unlucky. Um, It's just the luck of the draw you know, I just, this year, I pray this year, this is the year that the tides change and somehow he magically has money. (laughs) What was interesting is I know these thoughts came up and I was trying to start to pick apart, okay, what is it? So what, what beliefs did I start to make about money here? But I was running into a lot of resistance because I had some of these other memories just almost like demanding to be seen. And it was kind of like, until I looked at and released these old memories, I wasn't going to be able to process this this thing around money correctly. And so some of the other memories that were coming up, everything was related to the weekends with dad. And if you had asked me before this series, this Evox series on money, about those weekends with my dad, I would have been like, yeah, they were fine. You know, we got to hang out with dad. I wouldn't really have said anything too negative about them. Whereas, for example, my older brother, if you ask him about those weekends, he would say like, I was, from the moment we were in the car with him, I was counting down the minutes until we were like back home in Corona. What's so interesting is there's so many memories coming up from that time and so many emotions coming up that I think I either just completely dissociated from or yeah, just didn't want to recognize during that time because of some kind of survival mechanism. And so it actually shocked me how much emotion around fear and grief were coming up related to these weekends. And so I'll share some more of the memories that were coming up. And then I'll also share the processing I did after the Evox session to kind of bring it back around and how it connects to the money. So absolutely, there were fears around just my dad's financial status and the safety around that. Again, 
basically from the moment I was in the car with him, I think I really, you know, until we were brought back home to Corona, every moment I think was a moment of fear. And the more that I'm learning about trauma and developmental psychology, what I'm starting to realize the situation with my dad was, is that he was a person who had no boundaries, never was dependable or reliable, and you just never knew what to expect. There was zero consistency. And so I think that really made me as a child feel incredibly unsafe because you never knew what was going to happen next. You never knew where you were going. You never knew who you were going to be spending the day with. And so I'll give some more clear examples of this. When I know that there were a couple times when my dad couldn't drive all the way out to Corona from San Diego, my mom would sometimes drop us off at a kid's club halfway. And so then my dad would only have to drive halfway and pick us up at that kid's club. But I remember specifically that, let's say he was supposed to be there at six, six would roll around and he wouldn't show up. Seven would roll around and he still wasn't there. No one had heard from him. You had no idea when he was coming. And I really do remember being filled with so much fear of maybe he's not coming. And I know there was one time specifically that was really clear that he was so late in picking us up that the kids club actually had to stay open late. All the other kids had been picked up. They were gone. Like we were literally sitting outside the kids club, the three of us, with whomever the the employee was. Like the doors were locked. The lights were off. We were just standing there on the sidewalk waiting for him to show up. And so that made me so, so fearful I know I mentioned this in another episode of how I think my dad just couldn't connect emotionally, most likely from his own unprocessed trauma, his history as a child of being just completely neglected, no emotional connection for him. So I have compassion and empathy for that, absolutely. This him not being able to connect emotionally with us, I think that manifested as him filling up the weekends with things he had to do so that he wouldn't have to connect with us. And to us, it always looked like, again, kind of just, oh, all these things popped up accidentally. I guess I have to go do this now. I'm going to drop you off at these people's homes. And what was scary about that is, first of all, right, maybe the quote unquote plan was to watch this movie today and then go to this little park But inevitably, every single time the plan would get changed with some new crisis or volunteer thing that he had to go attend to, and we would either be taken along to that thing or dropped off at someone's home. And so there was definitely instability and inconsistency there because you just never knew where the day was going to go and what was going to happen next. So there was no sure footing we as kids could really, I think, feel secure on but the other thing with that is these the homes we were often being left at were people we did not know or we did not know well because we weren't going down there all the time we weren't integrated in this community and so it was kind of I mean it really felt like being dropped off with strangers and sometimes the homes we were dropped off with had children too and so maybe we could play with them 
But I remember, I also remember that when we were dropped off with the homes, in the homes of people with other children, the community in particular that he lived in was very isolating. So I remember the kids really sort of not wanting to play with us and sort of keeping us outside of their inner circle. So it just was never a good experience. But the other thing with that is he might say something like, I'll be back at four to pick you up. And same thing, four o'clock would roll around. He wouldn't show up, wouldn't show up. Maybe he'd show up three hours later with no communication. We just had absolutely no idea when or if he was coming back really. And I think sometimes he wouldn't even tell us when he was coming back. And again, it completely, there was so much fear coming up in this. I just was honestly sobbing out the fear because it truly was fear that had been repressed and unrecognized all of these years. I mean, 20 years that that fear hasn't been recognized, that that fear has been stored in my body. I vividly pictured me, my older brother and my younger brother at someone's homes. And the thought that kept coming through my head in the session was, please, someone come save us. Please, someone come save us. And, you know, of course, no one came because no one knew. And a question I really had in my mind was, why didn't us as young kids communicate this to my mom and to my stepdad? I, I've i already had these conversations with my mom and she just said, I had no idea. And I I can see why, because none of us said anything. And I'm sure there's a whole psychology behind that. Again, I think in the time I was so dissociated as a protective mechanism that I think in the actual moment, I was completely zoning out and shutting down so that I wouldn't really have to absorb the true weight of these circumstances. I think on a subconscious level, I also was able to sense that dad wasn't a safe place or dad wasn't a safe person because he had no boundaries. There was no consistency. There was no emotional connection. And Particularly with the boundaries, I never made this connection before, but as I mentioned before, it the way the weekends would unfold was just kind of like, we were supposed to do this, but oh, so-and-so called and need this. So I'm going to drop everything, drop you guys off somewhere and go help this person, no matter what the detriment is to you guys. And I think that really is a lack of boundaries. That's him not being able to say, you know what, I have my kids for the weekend, I'm so sorry I'm unable to support you or attend this, whatever it is. I mean, he really would just jump at anyone's beck and call. And I do believe on a subconscious level, that was his way of escaping, having to emotionally connect with us and also just not having any boundaries with anyone. But I think as children, we really internalize that as, okay, if any little thing is going to tip dad over the edge and he's not going to, if he can't say no, to anything or anyone, then when shit hits the fan, we are not going to be in a good place. If the boat starts to rock, there's no anchor. You know, if the storm comes, there's no anchoring here and we're just going to be tossed into the ocean and drown. And again, the intensity of the fear coming up in this session shocked me. It really shocked me and shook me. 
But I do feel like I was able to finally, after 20 years, release so much of that fear from my body. So another memory that came up as I was just kind of letting these emotions rise, letting these memories rise is there was a time when I can't honestly remember our age, maybe seven or eight, where me, my older brother, my younger brother, my mom and my stepdad, we had gone to church. We were in the kids service and my parents were, of course, in the adult service. And they had forgotten to tell us that they were going to stay for two services. And so the first kid's service comes to a close. You know, all the kids get up and leave and we're still sitting there waiting for mom and pop to come pick us up. And I really went into a panic. I was sobbing in the chair, just like, where are they? I don't think they're coming. And I remember my my older brother just kind of being like, stop crying, like, you know, you're drawing attention, you're embarrassing. And when I revisited that memory in the Evox session, the thought that came up was they've abandoned us. And the the next thought after that was like, it, it finally came. The day that they abandoned us finally came, almost as if it was something I had been expecting. And this instantly led me to the very next thought, which was there is a family history of fathers abandoning their families on both my mom's side and my dad's side. Multiple generations back, the fathers pretty much upped and left. On my dad's side, his father literally upped and left one day, no idea where he went, he never came back. And then his grandfather actually just disappeared one day and never came back. And so it was really profound because what it made me think of is, you know, why did as a young girl, I have this super deep subconscious fear of being abandoned? Could it be because my own father was so inconsistent? Definitely, I think that contributed to it. But could there be an element of generational trauma being passed on? I really believe that was an element to it as well in relation to that fear of abandonment. So in my mind's eye, I pulled up my two grandfathers on, you know, on my mom's side and on my dad's side. And honestly, I just had kind of event sesh with them in my mind. I let it loose. And what was really interesting is with both of them, it was like this flood of anger towards each of them. Even though one of them I never met, on my dad's side, the grandfather on my mom's side, I think I've met like once or twice, but there is not a good relationship there. He was really not a part of our lives. And so in my mind's eye, I just imagined honestly, like cussing them out, yelling at them, just telling them how awful they were. There was a well of anger waiting to come out, which again, surprised me because I don't know these people. So was that generational anger waiting to come out? Maybe. I think for some, this idea of in our minds, kind of letting ourselves say whatever it is we're wanting to say, whatever it is we're feeling, there can be a lot of hesitation in doing that because so many of us from a young age are taught that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. I'm really trying to flip that on its head and say emotions are not inherently good or bad. 
when they're repressed and when they're not processed, that is when those emotions repressed can start to lead to negative or even harmful behaviors. And so I feel very safe and comfortable in the safety of my own mind to let that anger out in whatever way it wants to come out. For me, it was, you know, screaming at them and cussing at them. So often when there is generational trauma involved, or I suspect there is generational trauma involved, I'll have the client picture the pain or the grief, whatever the emotion is that we're working through. And I tell them, picture this fear. We'll use this fear of abandonment since that's kind of what I'm working with here. Picture this fear of abandonment and now understanding your family history, if this fear of abandonment is like a pie chart, how much of that fear is actually yours versus how much of that fear of abandonment has come from your parents, from your grandparents? And in your mind's eye, can you get a visual of that pie chart kind of separating out and your, your pain or your fear becomes really clear and then what's not yours, what's, what was inherited becomes really clear as well. Usually once we do that and we get that imagery of, oh, you know, this pie chart, this circle that I thought was all mine, I'm realizing now that, for example, only a third of that pain is actually mine or a third of that fear is actually mine. Two thirds of it, the rest of it belongs to someone else. It was inherited. And what this can do is, first of all, kind of lighten the load. This load that you feel like you've been carrying, this burden that's felt so heavy. What I see every time with clients is they go, I feel so much lighter now realizing that that boulder, that whole burden wasn't all mine to carry. Actually, what what is mine to carry is a much smaller piece, a much smaller burden. And in releasing that huge inherited burden, what's truly mine from my own lifetime feels so much easier to manage now or so much lighter. And so then very often what I have them imagine in their mind's eye is whatever's not yours, we're going to place it on the ground and we're going to put it in front of the person who it actually belongs to at their feet. And we're going to let them know, I believe I may have inherited this pain or this fear or this trauma from you. I know you don't want me to be carrying this. And I know you might be afraid to carry it as well. So I'm going to place it here at your feet because I can't carry it anymore. And you can decide what you want to do with it from here. You can pick it up and try and process it or you can leave it there and never look at it. It's up to you. And so very often I just find that kind of mental imagery can be so helpful truly in helping clients release that generational inherited trauma and get really clear on what's mine and what's not. So bringing it back to my grandfathers, I just imagined like picking up this big sack. That was the imagery that was coming to me. These two big sacks and like throwing it into each of their arms being like, this is your shit. Again, I was still pretty angry and kind of verbally aggressive with them. And just saying like, this is your shit that I've been carrying. I am giving it back. I was not so gentle as, as I mentioned <laughs> in coaching clients through this. I have them use the imagery I just mentioned when it's just me with myself, whatever's coming up is coming up. So I imagine giving each of them their shit back and literally just like 
kicking them out the door of my home and saying, I can't believe I've let you live here for so long. Then I brought my mom and my dad up in my mind's eye and pictured the pain from them that maybe I've been carrying related to abandonment, father. And for both of them, it wasn't this big sack. It was like a smaller stone. And I imagined placing the stone in front of each of them. So with my parents, I was very gentle. I placed the stone in front of each of them. And my mom did kind of look at it with sadness and pick it up and sort of accept it. And there was this air or this sensing of, I want to process this. When I placed the stone in front of my dad, the visual that came to me was he literally picked it up and threw it into the abyss, like into the distance. And the sense from him was, there is no fucking way I'm looking at this. I am running from it as fast as I can. Now, I fully recognize that these are the emotions, maybe the intuition, the sensing of my own mind. It may not necessarily be truly representative of that other person. What I can say, though, is those both really ring true in the sense of my mom is actively working through her own trauma and her own repressed emotions, whereas my dad is actively running from them. So in this case in particular, it does ring true, that visual imagery that was coming to my mind. And so to close it out, I imagined my child self. I imagined me, my older brother, my younger brother being at some stranger's home that we didn't know and just feeling so unsafe and abandoned and scared. And I imagined my adult self showing up at the door and saying, I'm taking you away from here and taking the three kids to a park and playing with them, engaging with them, feeding them a good healthy meal. And then I imagined a conversation with that younger version of myself, just saying things like, I totally acknowledge all this fear you felt and all this fear that has been repressed over these years. I see you. I'm validating you. I'm so sorry that at that time there weren't tools available to help you process this. And I'm so sorry that you felt this fear of abandonment, but you will never be abandoned, at least not by me. And then I just imagined this fear that's been pent up, that's been stored in my cells, just kind of finally flowing out of my body through all my pores seeping out and this soothing calmness sinking in instead. And that's when I had a releasing pattern and the session came to a close. I did have a final thought that I wanted to add on here at the end. If you remember in the beginning, I was mentioning that my mom often mentioned when talking about money, she mentioned the debt that she had accumulated from school and just how long it had taken her to pay that off. And what I wanted to point out here that really stuck out to me was as children, all we heard about was the negative. I had this debt and really the only solution to it that I think we heard was like, just don't ever get into debt and save money. But we never heard the really nitty gritty practical steps she took to learn how to manage money, to slowly pay off that debt, to be financially 
empowered and financially stable. So it's kind of like we heard about the problem, but we never heard about the actual resolution in a sense that was really clear and tangible. And I wanted to make a note of that because I think this might be um, an accidental pattern that happens with many parents is they're trying to from all the love in their heart, protect their children from making the same mistakes as them in sharing their own mistakes, but they may not always be sharing really, truly, clearly how they reversed those mistakes or worked through them. So I just thought that was interesting and worth pointing out here at the end that when talking with children, (laughs) maybe trying to bring in even more intentionality into what we're sharing. And if we are sharing, hey, look, here was a mistake I made, sharing also how we came to resolve that, even if it took us years to resolve it, what it looked like so that they have that positive side of it too, not just this negative, oh, mom was in debt. She Because again, I think I mentioned this in the beginning, I just kept hearing mom was in debt. I never heard oh, and now I'm working through it, I'm out of it, and we're in a good place. And so I think my child brain just took that and internalized this idea that, oh, mom never learned how to manage money, um, and dad is shit at money, so I may never learn how to manage money either. I don't know how to manage money. There's no one in my life who can teach me how to manage money. I say this so often, and I will continue to repeat it until I'm blue in the face. This work does not give me resentment for my parents. It gives me so much compassion and empathy for them because I know that particularly my mom was doing her absolute best and both of them had so much trauma of their own that they didn't have the tools to work through. I'm so blessed and grateful to have been introduced to Evox myself and to be able to offer it to others now and it's an amazing tool And I fully recognize that they grew up in a time where even therapy was not widely accepted. And so there just weren't tools to work through their emotions. And there certainly weren't tools to work through severe trauma. So I have so much compassion and empathy for them. One of the things my mom said recently was she listens to this Evox series and she said, It's just making me so aware of how much kids are absorbing and you don't always know the subconscious beliefs or the subconscious deductions children are going to make from what they're observing in their life. And it gets me really excited because I love child psychology, developmental psychology, And I can already see one day developing some kind of course for parents that teaches them more about the subconscious and how children can absorb so much and how and kind of training on how we can be more intentional with our words and our actions and our communication so that we can hopefully preemptively address so many of these negative or fearful subconscious beliefs that we can make as children. So that's it. That is the close to this Evox series on money. I will be starting a new series next week. 
I'm still, I'm kind of debating between two different topics. So next week you will find out what the new series is on. And between now and then, I will also be recording a summary episode on the money series to basically summarize what were all the key things I worked through? How have my habits already shifted in these six, seven weeks? So that you get that really, really clear summary from basically all of these, I think, seven episodes. In about two weeks, I will be releasing an interview episode all about parasites with two natural health practitioners who have developed their own course on parasites. So we are going to dive deep into all things parasites, which I'm so excited about. I kind of geek out on this topic because it is so, so prevalent. And working on parasite cleansing was so impactful for me. So I can't wait for that episode to launch. And happy Friday. Have an amazing weekend, everyone.